find them a spouse and they go bye-byes, but that's all right. The Lord will take care of his church here and thankful for uh, these young people, really thankful for all of our young people. And uh, we got some upcoming young people going to be singing up here soon, right? <laughs> They're looking at me like scared to death, you know. You got to start somewhere. I want to start this evening in the book of Esther, chapter number four. We're not going to finish this morning's message, but I want to just use this as a springboard to get us started with regards to my burden for uh, tonight. Um, and really, in, um, in homiletics, when I taught homiletics, which is really the art of preparing and preaching uh, messages, I had a privilege uh, on a number of occasions to teach. Actually, it was a place I was at, I had a college, and I was able to uh, teach young people how to craft messages and this and that. It was a, it was a, fun, a fun thing. In any event, you say, Pastor, where in the world are you going? Uh, whenever a young person came to me with an outline, I probably did this to Tim when he came. They'd work on their outline, their message, and they'd come in. I say, let me see your, let me see uh, your outline. Here, you got to give it to me. And I would always take the outline and I'd set it aside. And I'd look at them and I'd say this: When you're done preaching, what do you want me to do? And they say, "Huh? What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you give an invitation at the at the end of your message." Uh huh. I said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to ask God? What do you want me to commit to? And that's really what's called the proposition. Uh, the interrogative is the question you would ask to support the proposition. In any event, many of them would look at me and say, I don't know. And I hand them their outline back and say, really, as you think about a sermon, as you think about a proposition, where we're going with this sermon, you have to really, your beginning and your ending are going to kind of be similar. You have to know, hey, what does this passage teach? What does God want me to do with this passage of Scripture? I tell all you all that to tell you this. I'm going to tell you where I'm going right now, okay? And um, often you don't tell somebody that till the very end. I'm burdened about what we're facing in our day and age today. <clears throat> Almost every week I hear from somebody, I was at the chiropractor the other day, any of you have vertigo? That's kind of a bummer, I tell you that. If you ever have vertigo, the chiropractor can do this maneuver, flip your head around all over the place, and uh, it helps to fix it. And so I feel better now. And in any event, while I was at the chiropractor, guess what he said? He said, man, we live in a crazy world, don't we? And I hear that on a regular basis with all the different things that we have coming our way and we as a nation need God. We really do need God. And as I was studying for the message on Esther, I was struck with what God's people did in verse number 3. And then Esther's solution, we didn't get to it today, we will get to it. Verse 3 of Esther 4, the decree is given that the Jews are going to be killed. Mordecai puts sackcloth and ashes and I think he began the process here. Verse 3, In every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Look at verse uh, number 14. No, verse number 16 of Esther 4. We didn't get here this week. We will in our next time we look at uh, our study. Esther says this to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. 
and neither eat nor drink three days, night, or day, I also and my maidens will fast likewise, so will I go in unto the king. As I looked at this passage, I thought about their solution for their people in the city of Shushan. It was setting aside some time to fast and pray. And so here's what I'm going to ask you when this message is over in about 26 minutes. It's a very easy assignment. But I'm going to ask you to consider, if your health will allow, to consider fasting a meal. You can fast all day if you want. You can fast for two or three days. Don't fast any more than two or three days unless you have instructions on how to do that, okay? (laughs) You can hurt yourself. And I want to ask you to take some time and set aside some time to pray for our country, to pray for our church. God wants to use this church in this day. God enabled us to put a debt-free building right here, enabled us to uh, do our parking lot. He's been good to us. Jesus said this, I will build my church. I think all of us would agree that we need to see God to bring some folks in and us to have a greater impact. You say, what does that mean? I don't know, (laughs) but I do know this. We can't just sit around talking about how bad things are. God can use us to make a difference. And so I want to take a few minutes, and I want to preach a message that I've entitled Prayer and Fasting. Some of these thoughts I gave you about six years ago. I did kind of rework some of this. Prayer and Fasting. Why is prayer and fasting important? I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at it. (laughs) My wife's way better at it than me. My wife has disciplined herself on a regular basis to just take some time and, and just fast for the needs of our family, for the kids, for whatever, for the needs of you folks. And uh, if she'll get a burden, she'll say to me, hey, I just talked to so-and-so, and I'd like to set some time to fast and pray. Will you join me? And sometimes I say yes. And sometimes I say, well, this week is not a good week, or I have a lunch appointment with somebody. But you go ahead, and you go ahead and do that. But I tell you this, it's really important, and it's really needed. And I want to start in Matthew chapter number 6, as we think concerning the needs in the United States of America and the uh, challenges that we have as a church. Remember this, the devil do whatever he can to keep us as a church from doing what God wants us to do. By the way, let me say this. Don't underestimate uh, the effect. Of the, well, we'll look at it in a little bit. Of pre- you, have, you, have, you have needs in your home. You have needs in your marriage. You have needs with your kids. I'm telling you, you might need to set aside some time and say, God, I don't care about anything else. I need you to intervene. God answers prayer. Prayer moves the hand that rules the world. Number one, as I look at fasting and prayer in the word of God, fasting is expected. Look at Matthew chapter 6. We won't stay here long, and I don't really have that long of a message, unless, of course, well, it could be long. There's lots of illustrations we could look at here. Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, 
hypocrites do in the synagogues. Verse 3, when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. We have instruction here in verses 1 to 4, Matthew 6, concerning giving. But I want you to notice the word when. Jesus makes an assumption that we're going to give. And for all of us, obviously, we would think that giving is logical and normal as God's people, God wants us to give. We see that. Slide down to verse number 7. Jesus says this, again, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and when thou prayest, note the word when, when thou prayest, and we're giving some instructions in the first four verses on giving. Now we're giving some instructions concerning prayer. Don't be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corner of the streets. Verily they have their reward. Verse 6, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when they've shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and he shall reward thee open, openly. And then we see what? We see here the model prayer, when you pray, pray after this matter. We looked at this a number of weeks ago on a Wednesday night. But notice what Jesus says. He says, first, when you give, here's some instruction on giving. Then he says, when you pray, and here's some instruction on giving. So there is an assumption then, an expectation that God's people will give and God's people will pray. Are you with me? Now I want you to see what Jesus says in verse number 16. <clears throat> Moreover, look at the next word, when ye fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. But when you fast, anoint thine head. Verse 18, thou appear not unto men to fast. What you do in secret and thy father in secret shall reward thee openly. The point of what I want us to see here is this. The word when. Giving is expected and we see that. Praying is normal and part of a Christian's life when. But the scripture here says when ye fast. The idea is that fasting is expected by God's people. Mark chapter number 2 and verse number 18, the Bible says this. They asked Jesus a question concerning fasting. And in verse number 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. When they come and say to him, why do thy disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Why don't your disciples fast? Jesus said unto, them, said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Fasting is expected. Number two, I want you to see this, and uh, we'll start in Deuteronomy 9. We'll just highlight a couple of these examples, but I want you to see that fasting is exemplified. There are numbers of fasting illustrations in the Word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter number 9 and verse number 1, the, uh, the Bible says this, and uh, obviously God's communicating through Moses here. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Verse number 18, 
speaking concerning the illustration of the situation that happened in the book of Numbers with the golden calf. Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 9, And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and break them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye have sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. What do we see? We see here Moses fasting because he needed God's mercy and longed for God's mercy upon his people with regards to the golden calf. We don't need to turn there. Turn to Jonah chapter 3, but in the book of Ezra, you will see Ezra taking time to fast and pray because of a need for deliverance with God's people. In Nehemiah chapter number 1, you see a similar illustration of Nehemiah seeing the need, the walls are broken down, seeing the need in Jerusalem, seeing the need of God's people, and we find Nehemiah taking time to fast and pray. In Jonah chapter number 3, I alluded to this this morning, Jonah chapter number 3, the people of Nineveh were a wicked people, and God wanted Jonah to go, and God wanted Jonah to preach, and Jonah went after the whole situation there uh, with uh, the fish there. And the Bible says in verse 3 of Jonah 3, Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Jonah, verse 4, began to enter and cried and said, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What's the situation here? And you're familiar with it. God has mercy upon the people of Nineveh. Jonah comes and Jonah says, judgment from God is coming. You've got to change your ways. And they recognize that their ways are displeasing to God. And they declare a fast. Hey, we've got to take time and we've got to seek the Lord. And they spend time fasting. And what does God do? God has mercy on them. Look at, look at verse number 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. That was verse 9. Verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. You see, God was moved on behalf of Nineveh because Nineveh saw their condition before a holy God, and they repented, and they fasted, and they sought God to have mercy. And God did. We can look at the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter number nine. And I'll tell you what, I'll have you turn to Matthew chapter number four. I'll stop on the way in Daniel chapter number nine. And uh, there are a number of illustrations we could look at. Um, Daniel chapter number nine. Daniel takes some time when he sees the condition Daniel 9 and verse 3, you can find, if you want to find that, you can. If you want to go to Matthew 4, that's where I'm headed next. The Bible says, Daniel, And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, thy great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. We've committed iniquity. 
Daniel intercedes for the people of God, and he does so by prayer and fasting. In the New Testament, uh, I had you turn to uh, Matthew chapter number 4, and we see here the example of our Lord. And uh, before his, uh, he starts his earthly ministry here, and the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse number 1 of Matthew, Then Jesus led up of the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted, Forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. You know, Jesus did what he did here on earth in dependence upon God. And he sets an example for us to fast and pray and to seek the Lord. And then obviously in a time of weakness, the devil comes and the devil tempts him. And we're thankful that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Acts chapter number 13, we find another example. Acts chapter number 13, when it comes to the example of the early church. Acts 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and there's a list of individuals. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. I think we've got a situation here with the early church crying out to God that God would do something and God would work. And in their time of set aside to seek God for what was going on then, God said, Hey, I want you to set these two guys apart. I want these two guys to go in the ministry and serve me. And what did they do? They spent more time fasting and prayer. They laid hands on them and they sent them out. You see, the early church saw the need for fasting and prayer. Acts chapter 14, go over one other time. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 19 The Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. That's a big situation here, because the Apostle Paul was was looked up to. He was respected. He was out there making it happen. And then we recognize that here the Apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead. Hey, this might be a scary thing. Let me ask you this question. If I told you that last Saturday, uh, and I'm just making this up, all right, fictitious, Brother Palmer was here, we didn't go out last Saturday, but if I told you, and actually yesterday we got snow, we didn't go out as then, but if I told you uh, last Saturday 10 people went out on visitation and five of those people got arrested, would you be signing up for visitation next Saturday? You see, well, I hope that I would be. (laughs) The Apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead. And what do they do? It's it's amazing to me because they had a cause that was bigger than themselves. Verse 20, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came to the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith that they through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They prayed for Paul and Barnabas. Say, God, we need you to work here. We need you to 
empower these individuals. Illustration of the Word of God. By the way, an interesting verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 concerning this matter of fasting. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 has to do with the husband-wife relationship. It has to do with the importance of husbands and wives meeting each, each other's needs in a physical way. But it's interesting what the Bible says. By the way, well, I won't go there. I'll chase a rabbit, and I better not. Let's just read the verse. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Interesting. You're supposed to be together physically. And the only reason you're not supposed to be together physically is because you set aside time to fast and pray. And sometimes the excuses that couples make for not being together physically are not Bible excuses. Now, I'm talking about that. That's a whole different message. But it's interesting in the context what we find there. You can set aside time for fasting and prayer. Fasting is exemplified in the scripture. We see the example many times in the word of God. And I know, by the way, that people can say, hey, you can, you can fast from primarily, I think, uh, a lot of the examples we see are, are fasting. We're not going to eat. We're going to set aside a meal or set aside a day or, or two where we're not going to, because this situation that I need God's deliverance is more important to me than even eating. And I know people have say, well, I'm going to uh, set aside a fast from, from music. By the way, if you have a problem with your music, you say, I need to change my music. One of the best ways to change your music is to go for, on a fast for a week or two from music altogether. You re-kind of wire your brain. You can reconnect your appetite for the right kind of music. Sometimes people say, hey, we're going to go on a TV fast. We're going to watch any TV or, or any of that for a certain amount of time to kind of recalibrate ourselves spiritually. I think sometimes those things are good, okay? Um, but obviously they didn't have TV then, <laughs> and uh, the music that we have at our fingertips now um, is a lot uh, accessible. Uh, I'm sure they had something then, but not like we have now. And so really the idea is this issue, whatever it is, needs to be more important to me uh, than even my own taking time uh, to feed my own flesh. Let me give you a third thought here, and I want you to turn to Mark chapter number 9. And this is the one that really uh, should hit us all as we look at situations in our lives that we find that are impossible. Jesus gave his disciples power to cast out demons. He gave them power as he sent them to go and to preach. But we find an interesting story in Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 14. The Bible says, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Am I in the right? Yeah, not okay. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. 
And whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. By the way, if you look at the word of God and you see individuals that were demon-possessed, they were hurting themselves. They were casting themselves into the fire, and people had to pull them out because the devil which that lived in them was trying to destroy them. And we need to remind ourselves that the devil hates us, and the devil is out to destroy us. And he'll do anything and everything he can to render us ineffective for God. But they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we need your help. Verse 19, And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how so long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. When he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long uh, is it ago since this came of him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus saith unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I'm telling you, that is a great verse. <laughs> Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And God has compassion, Jesus is compassion. And he saw the people came running together. He said to the first 25, to the foul spirit, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and ran him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and arose. When he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately. They pulled him aside and say, Lord, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that fasting is essential. That's our third point. It is essential. Sometimes the only answer is to fast and pray. And we know as we look at the example of the Lord Jesus, Jesus spent some time fasting and in prayer. And what did he tell his disciples? He gave them power. The disciples said, hey, what do we do? And Jesus said, hey, you need to spend time in prayer and spend time fasting. How desperate are we? And sometimes I, I think that's really our issue. Sometimes I think the issue is we're not desperate enough to see God to really do something. We're not desperate enough about the condition in which we find ourselves. We may head in a situation where it gets more desperate than it is. God wants to work. I have a lengthy illustration here. You know what? I think I'm just going to forget about it. It's a story that John R. Rice told concerning a situation that he faced where God intervened and worked in a great way due to fasting and prayer. Andrew Murray said this, Fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything 
to sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. How important is your family? How important is your marriage? How important are your kids? How important are your grandkids? Do you know we're fighting the devil for the people that we love? We really are. And sometimes we can get frustrated with them and think, oh, the problem's with them, the problem's with them. Hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And I think in the day and age in which we live, with the challenges that we're facing, I read this morning concerning HB 300, the, the governor, the, the House has already passed it, and the governor's pushing the Senate to pass it, and it could get passed, and now what do we have? We have challenges. I told my wife this. <laughs> I said, you go in a restroom, and some guy goes in there after you that thinks he's a gal. For a couple minutes, I'm going to think I'm a gal too, and I'm going to go right in there as well. I'll change my mind in a minute or two later when I get out of that bathroom. This is craziness. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. But our God's on the throne. And our God is able to work. And we have to believe him and believe that he will. And God's able to work in this church. God's able to bring folks here that we can minister to and we can save. This is like a hospital and there's people out there that need saved and that need delivered. And we need to call upon God and say, God, would you give me somebody that I can pour my life into? And all of us have challenges in our situations that God has us in. And some of it's with children and some of it's with uh, grandchildren and some of it's you know, marriage issues and there's lots of challenges we face. But can I say this? God is bigger than any challenge that we face. Amen. And it might be that we have to get to a point where we say, I am desperate before God. Nothing else matters. My kids have to turn out for God. My marriage has to make it for God. My grandkids have to get saved. And I'm going to seek God. And I'm going to fast if I need to and pray. And I'm going to make it a priority. We have things that are important to us that we say. You say, oh yeah, this is really important. My marriage is really important to me. How much time do you take praying for your spouse? You see, when, if you really want to know what's important to you, look at your action, look at the list of things that you, your priorities and where, where you spend your time. That's really what's really important. We can say these other things are important, but unless I give attention to those other things and unless I cry out to God about those other things, they're really not that important. I'll say this and I'll be done. I was counseling with somebody years ago in my office and I said to them, I said, hey, what's important to you? And they said, oh, look, the Lord is number one, number two. I had asked him prior to the counseling situation. I said, can you bring me a list of well, just your schedule and what you normally do? And uh, he wrote out time. He went out and went to work and this and that and the other. And then I asked my questions. I said, what's really important to you? He said, number one is the Lord. And I said, can I look at your to-do list? I said, where do you spend time with God in this how much time do you spend with God on your paper here? Oh. See, God's not number one. He's not. What's number two? My family's number two. Spending time with my family. 
Can I ask you a question? Looking at the schedule. Where does the family, where does that fit into here? By the way, duties don't conflict. Church and family, we can all work together. We can work together to spend time. I, David was telling me, uh, he was reminiscing. He said, you know, I was part, as a little kid. Uh, how old were you, Dave? 12, 13, whatever. He said, I was part of the Jackie Hazard story. Those of you that know, David was my partner out there on the street. And he's got a story he'll never forget. See, our, our young people need these kind of stories. What's really important to us, we're going to take time. And I'd venture to say that every one of us have a situation that we're facing. I know we all do when it comes to where we live in Pennsylvania and what's happening around us. And this might hit us quick. And you might find yourself in a store and you might find yourself confronted with this real fast. But I venture to say that beyond Pennsylvania, I venture to say that every one of us have a situation this kind. And it might be that we need to say this kind, this challenge, might only be solved by me taking some time to fast and pray. So I come back to where we started. Will you... Say, Lord, I'm going to set aside. Now, I know some people health-wise can't do it. Please, if you can't, you're sometimes diabetics and stuff. Don't be passing out on us, all right? God knows your heart. But if you physically can, how about saying, I'm going to set aside the hour I'd spend for lunch, the hour I'd spend for dinner, the hour I'd spend for breakfast, whatever. And I'm, I'm not just going to not eat, but I'm going to set aside that time, and I'm going to seek God for my state, for our country, that God would build his church and for the issue that I'm facing right now. God is not limited. If we seek him, we'll find him when we search for him with all of our heart. And sometimes God wants us to say, I don't need any of it. I need you, God. Let's bow.